Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Asban, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Sukkah, daf Lamed, page 30. We are going to start on the previous daf with the new parak. This is the third parak, very famous parak of Gemara. And it begins with the following Mishnah. Lulav ha-gazul v'hayavesh pasul. A lulav that is stolen or is dry. Two seemingly totally unrelated uh, issues, and we'll see they are unrelated, but they're both considered to be pasul. A lulav, that's a tree that was worshipped as idolatry, right? Which, nashera tree, or from a irenidachat. So that's a city where the majority of the residents have been doing avodazara. Um, it is also considered to be pasol, because the idea is, is that this lulav from the irenidachat more used for some type of avodazara. Niktam marsho nifertu alav. Um, if the top of the lulav is cut off or the leaves of the palm leaves are sort of severed or detached, it's also pasul. Nifredu alav kasher. But if its leaves are just spread, not totally completely joined at the spine, it is still considered to be kosher. Rabbi Yehuda says that somebody, you should bind the lulav from the top. So in other words, you can join the leaves um, that are, you know, and, and that's a way to do that. Um, there's a particular type of palm that is found in these mountains called the Tzine Har Barzel. Those are considered to be kosher. And uh, a lulav needs to be at least three tefachim in length uh, in order to be able to wave it. Interesting, Mishnah, because it really sort of contains a series of halachot. They're all about lulav. But the topic of them um, are not necessarily, I, I would say, sort of go together, particularly the lulav hagazul, and then the description of what could be wrong with the physical lulav itself that would make it not okay. You almost feel like the gazul piece, a stolen lulav, should have had its own mishnah. And so the Gemara begins as well as kap pasik batani, right? The mishnah sort of teaches this whole thing about the lulav hagazul, right? That there seems to be no difference about whether or not it's a stolen lulav on the first day of Sukkot or if it's the second day of Sukkot. It looks like it is just always not okay. So now the Gemara says, okay, when we're talking about a dry lulav, right, um, that, you know, so we understand that. Why? Because it needs to be hadar. We need that it be beautiful. And this is the first time we sort of see this brought in again, right? It's not mentioned in the Mishnah explicitly, but the reasoning why the dry one isn't allowed is it's not hadar. It's not easier mitzvah. It's not beautiful, right? Veleka, and it isn't, right? Ela gazul, right? But with the, so in other words, and we understand why the yavesh wouldn't be allowed all the, the whole week because you're just, it's never going to be a nice lulav. But the stolen lulav, so maybe it should only be allowed for the first day of Yom Tov, right? That you just don't allow a stolen one. Why? Because the Pasuk says specifically on the first day in Vayikra chapter 23, verse 40, that you need to take the lulav for yourselves. One that you own, right? But maybe on the second day, it's it's okay. It's not really, um, it's not really a big deal. 
And then the Gemara gets into Mishum Zahabilei Mitzvah Habava Vera. The reason for this is, is it doesn't have, oh, sorry, I skipped her. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Shum Ben Yochai. So Rabbi Yochanan says the name Rabbi Shum Ben Yochai. What's the reason why this applies not only to the first day, but on? Is because Mishum Zahabilei Mitzvah Habava Vera. Because if you use a stolen lulav, it's a mitzvah that was brought about through the process of doing a sin. And so Shana'amar, and so now they're going to quote a different pasuk. And it's interesting to note that this concept of mitzvah baba avera, the proof for it is not from the Torah. It's not from the first five books, but it's from Nevi'im. And it's from Malachi chapter one, verse 13. Right? That you have brought that which was stolen and lame and sick. Um, and the idea here is they're talking about the korbanot, and Hashem basically says, if you look at the rest of that pasuk, how could Hashem accept those things? Gazul dumiyot de piseach, right? A stolen animal is, can, is equivalent to a lame animal. Ma piseach lesle takanta, right? Just as a lame animal, right? An animal that has a blemish. It has no remedy to use it. There's no way you can use it. Loshna So too with a stolen animal, there's not going to be, sorry, I read out of order. There's not going to be any remedy. And it doesn't make a difference whether the owner has despair. The concept of Yeyosh is, is that sometimes if you find a lost object and you know that the owner, there's no way they would be looking for it, it's like they relinquished ownership for it because they have despair. They don't think they're ever going to get it back. But when it comes to something stolen, the concept of Yeyosh doesn't apply. And so it's interesting to see. So we don't care about just written on the first day. The Gazul one is a mitzvah habab aver. So with, with that, I'm going to hand it off to you to think about this a little bit more. Well, my my first comment I just want to make is to just point out, and I think it's very obvious, of course, that we have left sukkah behind, right? Not the masachet, but the, the, the hut itself, right? And we are moving on to the other main mitzvah of the holiday, which is lulav, which is lulav, but it's the taking of the four species and, you know, focusing here on Lulav, um, although we're going to get into the Hadassim too in a moment. Um, okay, the part I want to read here goes from, I'm at, towards the end of Ahmed Aleph, I'm going to carry on to Ahmed Bet, where it's talking about exactly what you're doing, what you've just read in the Mishnah, and delves in a little bit deeper. Mati Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak asked a question on this Mishnah, Lulav HaGazul Vahyavesh Pasul HaShaul Kasher Emat. Now he says, if you're talking about a lulav that was stolen, it's completely dry. Obviously, that's going to be, that's not kosher, right? It's a pasul. But then the implication is that if you borrowed a lulav, um, that it would be fine, right? Meaning, hasha'ul, sha'ul meaning that which is borrowed is going to be kasher, is going to be kosher. But so when is this going to apply? Because we have, we know that borrowing is, we've talked about this even in the previous prakim, that it's not so simple. We know that on the first day of Yantif, because of the way the verse says lachem, you have to take your own lulav, um, and then you can't um, you can't have borrowed it. And then this borrowed lulav won't be from him, won't be his own, and he can't use it then as, um, it won't fulfill the verse. So rather, we're talking about the second day. It's interesting because of the Yantav Shani, right? It means the second day of the festival, the whole holiday. It doesn't mean um, a day of Yisro Malacha. Um, and then the Mishnah there teaches, uh, if it's stolen, 
it, you know, then it's going to be puzzle on that day too. It's not just on the first day, meaning let's say this more clearly on the first day, everybody has to own the lulav that they take on the second day. You don't have to own it, but it can't be stolen. You could have borrowed it. That's fine. But stolen would still be a problem. Um, okay. Now, so Rava comes and says, now this is Rava commenting on the above. Actually, when we're going to talk about that Mishnah, we're going to say, well, the Mishnah is talking about the first day. The Tana there says that using, you know, saying it's Gazul, like, don't don't worry about that. It's He didn't have to say that. They, they just not gonna, you're not going to fulfill the obligation if it's borrowed. Everybody already knows it has to be his own. And the point is to make the point about the stolen will of not, not to make the point about ownership, rather, in terms of borrowing or not. Um, and then the the example is, you know, and here the Gemara continues, Lomi by Shaul Dalav Didehu, Aval Gazul, Stam Gzela Yesh Baalim Hu. Anytime you have a, a usual robbery, as you said, your data, you know, there's a, a premise, a presumption of yeush, the presumption of despair that you've given up. But kididi dami kamashman that it would be to the contrary. What does that mean? So that if we say that a usual case of robbery, you would end up with yeush, right? Then in this case, we're talking about a stolen lulav, which sounds like it should be a regular case of robbery. So the implication is, it, we would learn. We would understand that the presumption here is that it turns out not to be a regular case of robbery, and maybe you wouldn't have yeush, and nonetheless you still can't use that stolen lulav. Okay, now what happens then is that the Gemara takes kind of a, a, a pop-up window or a sidebar to talk about um, the people who would sell all of the dalad are uh, the dalad medium. Right, all of these four species. Amarlu Ravhuna Lahanhu Avankre. The Avankre are the merchants. We've seen this word before. And they're selling Kizvintu Asa Miglaim Lotigzos Atun Elalegzuza Inu Vyavulahu. So what happens? Um Ravhuna says to the Avankre, these merchants who are selling the four species, when you come to buy these uh specifically the myrtle branches, the Hadasim, when you buy them from the non-Jews. Don't you cut them off at the tree? Meaning, aren't you the one to do the cutting? Rather, and he says, um, you should let the non-Jews do the cutting and let them then give them to you. My Tama, what is his rationale? Stam goyim, and this is, of course, not our modern sensibilities either. Stam goyim gazlane arata dninhu. The presumption is that if they're non-Jews, then they're simply going to be stealing, right? Stealing um the the land itself and here vakarka ain't on exilet and here this land is not stolen meaning the implication is that if you're going to take as long as the land is the property of the original owner then even if you don't have the owner then then even if the owner has hit a point of yeush there's not going to be a problem here for the i hope i'm saying this in the right order i've lost what i've said in my head um that the owner is not going to be even if the owner has yeush um, the, the concern would be that the Hadassim were stolen from Jews, right? But if you're getting them from the non-Jews, then the Yeush will kick in while the non-Jews are holding the Hadassim. And then when you come to buy it from, or when the Jewish merchant takes them from the non-Jewish merchant, then 
there will be no issue of Gezela because it will have already, the Yeish will have taken place prior to then, and then in which case the non-Jews have taken possession of it. The Jews buy it from the non-Jews, like, and legitimately so. And then you, the person who needs a Hadassim, will be able to buy it. So here, just to read it inside, um, Meaning the, the transfer of ownership is taking place at the time that the, the Hadassim are in the hands of the non-Jews. And then the Gemara says sof sof, and I always like when the Gemara says sof sof because it doesn't always give us a bottom line that clearly, right? Sof sof. At the end of the day, he So it's really what happened is that when the avankre, when the merchants would go and cut these hadasim, they said, "Let it be a case of yeyush in their hands, <coughs> so that the change of of ownership will take place." At the time that the that the myrtle that the hadassim are being bought by the people who come to buy them, meaning not for the non-Jews, according to this story, so so there's no non-Jews really in that story at all. So then, of course, the question is why is Rav Huna, you know, taking the position that the non-Jews should be in the in the chain of purchase? I guess that's the right right meaning from the land to the non-Jews, to the Jewish merchants, to the Jews who's going to use, Jewish people who are going to use it. Um, so then the Gemara says, Lo, sorry, excuse me, Lo, Tzricha, Bahoshana, Davankri, Gufaihu. So the Gemara says, no, Rav Huna's whole point about the non-Jews, meaning telling the Avankri, telling the merchants to let the non-Jews do the cutting only is about the, the Hadassim themselves for them of the merchants themselves. Meaning, not for there to be another chain of transmission of ownership from the Jewish merchants. To, let's say it again: from the ownership of the land to the ownership of the non-Jews to the ownership of the merchants, the Jewish merchants to the purchaser. That's too many, even according to Rav Huna. Right? He's only talking about one change of ownership, which is going to be when it's going to be the merchants themselves, and not that they're then going to be selling it the next one. So the question is: Can these merchants use? These hadassim that have been um, cut by the non-Jews, and the idea is, at least according to Rav Huna, that that's a good way to go for the merchants themselves, not for you, the customer who comes to the merchants. Whew. Okay. So at the end of the day, really, what we're talking about is a lot of fancy footwork to make sure that our hadassim are not gazulim either, right? Meaning, we want to make sure that no portion of the lulav and etrog and aravot and hadassim, none of them are going to be stolen and the way we track that is making sure that the transfer of ownership takes place either after Yeush or you know with actual purchase which honestly makes more sense to me to begin with so this concept of Yeush is very interesting we're going to see more of it um but how i i just love the first time we see Yeush has to do with sukkot like if you were going to pick the holiday or if you're going to pick the halachic category where you would see it first, it would not be around sukkah, right? We're expecting to see that in the bubbas, but it's great how they worked it into here. Yeah, yes, it is great. I just find I I find myself always like kind of tracking when 
when is it gazul? When is it not gazul? Right? To, you need a real timeline. I need a chalkboard here, right? Or a whiteboard would be fine too to show like at this is a point of cutting and this is the point of the transfer of ownership at the time that Yeush takes place so that the so that you're never worrying about it being a stolen lulav, right? That's the tricky part here. And it might even be more tricky for Aravot than meaning I'm just saying practically speaking because Aravot so easily are just kind of plucked where they grow and then you never really know if they've if there's been yeush at all if there's been a transfer of ownership if there's been a purchase it's much more complicated right and it's also really clear from this discussion that i think this was a very practical common occurrence oh yeah i think so even nowadays i i mean again i haven't bought a little of a network in america in a very long time but in israel you buy hadassim they come more often than not in a sealed plastic bag, sealed on both sides, with hashkachot all over the place. Meaning these are both kosher for your little venetro, but also not stolen and also meaning not dry. Everything is wonderful. You can go ahead with them. And they're the only product, even even as compared to etrog, they're really the, the product that comes the most supervised. Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? Like the sourcing is also really important. It's not just about buying it. And I, I think we see this was a problem even from the time of the Gemara. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rink is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Ravani Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.